Stairwells episode 20 is this 20 this I think this is beyond 20 beyond 20 this is this is 21 21 because uh, yeah, last episode could drink in Iceland this episode can drink in the United States this this episode can have cigarettes which is far more relevant to us mm-hmm. um, uh, wait did they change that from 18 to 21 yeah they raised it to 21 oh wow I know this because a, a a barista asked me not long ago to buy cigarettes for them. Um, I did not do this, to be clear. Um, <laughs> I'm not just I'm not just saying that for the same reason we say we don't pirate movies. I actually am like, I am not buying you cigarettes. <laughs> you can um, find someone else to do that for you. We also definitely only pirate movies when there's no U.S. copyright for it, and we just can't find it any other way. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> um, anyway. Speaking of drinking, I have a rum and coke. You have a tea. Well, I have a tea, a birch beer, and a glass of wine. Okay. You've got an array of beverages. I have a rum yeah, and coke. And water. Um, I have a rum and coke, but Nora keeps the... I didn't realize we had coke, or I would have, like, put it in the freezer for, like, ten minutes before I, like, wanted to drink it. Um, Nora keeps all the soda in the house at room temperature, and so it's kind of disgusting to me, but I am powering through because I want it, so... I also drink all soda. I just keep it at room temperature and just crack it open and drink it disgusting <laughs> the both of you vile villainous um, when it you know when it's warmer you can like really taste the bouquet of the dr pepper 
<laughs> we watched Dragon Inn, a, a 1968 classic wuxia movie, but before that, we watched a lot of movies. We did. We watched um, a lot of movies. You have, you have three? Three. I have... Okay, we shared one. That's so you true. have... You have four, I have three, and then we additionally have the shared one. Let's talk yeah. first about the shared one. Yeah. Um, uh, so, a uh, friend of the show, M, um, has been watching through a bunch of... Um, and I'm... Mm, I'm gonna say this right. I'm gonna say it right. Uh, <laughs> uh, Are you, like, pulling up how to pronounce... <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anya <laughs> um, Svarda or whatever. Yes. I'm going to say it right. Um even though I do stand by my uh uh even though I stand by my proclamation that French is a fundamentally stupid language. <laughs> Pronouncenames.com. Oh, yes. I always Agnes. use I use always use Forvo. Uh, I went. I just clicked the first YouTube hit, Agnes. M has been watching all the Agnes Varda um, short films. Um, I'm sure they'll discuss this on repertory screenings, um, so people should go listen to that. Um, but M alerted us to a um, Tadebu Escalier Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, I'm not learning to say that because I think French is a stupid language. Um, Tadebu. Escalier to say, I think is <laughs> how you say it. Um, this is a commercial for a a, a cinema in Paris. Um, I cannot recall now what cinema that would be, but uh, it is a commercial for a movie theater, um, which has a lovely stairwell um, leading into it, and um, the. Yeah, but- advertisement <laughs> is essentially clips of stairs from other movies. With some light uh, narration from Varda, um, mm-hmm. it's one of the best movies ever made. Just by the just by the criteria of stairwells, yeah, <laughs> and their ornateness. <laughs> um, yeah, this this is it's so funny because I was like, man, I can't believe she ate her lunch back in 1986. <laughs> <laughs> just. Um, just eviscerated our whole shit. Yeah. And oh! I, I watched it I watched it first before you did and um messaged you that um I think that we need to give it the highest rating ever, which is um so you know how like in because we do ass is the highest rating normally. And yes. in a lot of like Japanese music games, they'll do things higher than S, but I didn't want to just do like double s because that's that's boring mm-hmm. um and so another thing that will happen in those games is they'll they'll have some sort of thing that's like above it that's describing the s and is related to the theme of the game so i figured the rating for this is ornate s this gets an ornate s yeah yeah the s stands for stairwell as far as i'm concerned this is the only movie that is ever going to get this like i uh-huh. guess maybe citizen kane 
could have a shot. But <laughs> I still don't think that Citizen Kane is going to get the ornate S because no. I, what makes it deserve it for me is the fact that the entire point of this movie is yes. the stairs. Like, yes. it's not just that the stairs are there. It's not just that they're ornate and that it's classic, like, these are some of the best stairs of cinema. It is that the entire point of the short film is stairs and right. how movies are about stairs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you just um, can't top. You just can't top that. You really can't. Um, I, I have no more to say. Also, I remembered that I had one other thing that I watched. So now we both have four movies. Um, you want to alternate? Um, yeah, I guess. I'll go first with alternating because um, I have another Agnes Varda thing to um, talk about. Okay. I'm going to do a, a, like, just me being weird about spreadsheets while you talk, which is that I'm yes. going to, like, put things in the order that we're talking about them. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. Um, so, yeah, I um, watched um, Varda, uh, another one of... Uh, not on M's recommendation, actually, but on um, Grace's recommendation, her uh, 1968 30-minute documentary on uh, the Black Panthers and specifically on um, the incarceration of Huey Newton um, and the trial and the protests surrounding the trial um, for people who... Uh, be, if, you, if you're not familiar, you should just go watch the documentary. Um, I think it's the documentary says all of these things better than I'm going to be able to say it. But um, basically, Huey Newton um, in 1968, maybe 1967, um, is pulled over by the police. Um, witnesses, no witnesses reported seeing a gun in Newton's hand. However... At the end of this sort of, like, you know, getting pulled over by the police, there's... Newton has been shot, one officer is dead, and another has been shot. Um, there is very little evidence pointing to Newton being guilty for this. I, I don't believe that there is any evidence. The evidence is not, if it exists, is not brought up in the film. Because the point that... Um, the Panthers are making into the point that I think the film sides with and that I also side with is that Newton is a political prisoner. Um, like, I don't think there is evidence, even if there were evidence, that's not the crime he's being incarcerated for. Newton is being incarcerated for um, organizing the Black Panther Party. That is what he is on trial for. Um, and everything else is just a show. They find him guilty, even though there is no evidence that, like, other than the testimony of officers who are biased, um, like, there is no reason to convict him. So, um, the, the Panthers are demonstrating outside this courthouse in Oakland, um, and, um, you just get, um, uh, interviews with, um, organizers, you get, um, sort of B-roll of, um, you know, party members, um, you know, doing their military training, doing, um, just day-to-day -day life things, playing music, listening to music, um, the, 
the documentary, I believe, starts and ends on the words, Black is Beautiful. Um, it is just a very, like, powerful thing to, like, um, see the Panthers, like, doing the work that they were doing in 1968 um, and to, like, see that taken seriously, to not be questioned, to not, to just, like, accept the the work of the Black Panther Party on its own terms to just listen to Huey Newton without questioning him. They also were able to interview him from jail, which was really um, just really moving. Just like seeing it, you know, seeing him talk, seeing what he had to say about his incarceration, hearing him explain like, yeah, I've been kept in uh, solitary for like months at a time. I have been, you know, this, that, and the other. Um, They censor my letters. They, um confiscate my books you know all of these things um so really powerful documentary only 30 minutes long um because it is only 30 minutes long i think if you like don't know what the black panther party is it it might behoove you to do some looking into that beforehand um uh I would recommend you can just go read the 10-point program, uh, which is, like, what Huey Newton and Bobby Seale put out as, like, this is the objective of the Black Panther Party. You can just go read that. Bobby Seale has a book called Seizing the Time, which you can find a free audiobook on YouTube um, of that. Um, Bobby Seale being one of the other founders. Um, And, yeah, it's just a very, like, moving documentary. I think it helps that, like, coming out in 1968, it assumes a certain, like, familiarity on the audience part with what this is so you don't have to explain it too much you just have to extend explain the circumstances around the trial um yeah it's a great movie yeah. um i before i talk about my thing oh also i guess you'll rate a stairwell but um i i want a quick shout out here um i've talked about mediaburn.org um previously and if you go there and search for <clears throat> um fred hampton mm-hmm uh, one of the things that we archived was um, the documentary, essentially, um, that was produced called The Murder of Fred Hampton, um, which is a very interesting documentary because they they were basically at the time, like, just trying to record some of his speeches and, like, um, like the, the I- original idea behind the film crew was just like, oh, we're just going to, like, record the chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party um, mm. and get, like, footage of his speeches. Um, and in the midst of this in 1969, he was murdered in his bed by the Mm -hmm. Chicago police. Um, and because they were already sort of closely involved, um, the film crew was able to document a lot of stuff immediately after it happened. Um, and it ended up being a a pivotal thing that proved that the blank, uh, black Panthers were correct. Um, police broke in without warning and killed him without resistance, mm-hmm. um, which is not the story that the police were telling, obviously. So, yeah, um, it's a yeah. it's a like one, just that being preserved and being preserved for free online is mm-hmm. um, an important thing. But I think it's also a thing that can be worth watching as well if people are like yeah. digging into this. Um, uh, fuck the police. Yeah. Um Anyway, I gave this um, an S because um, obviously, like, being a, uh, a documentary about protests and being a documentary about protests in front of courthouses, um, 
stairs feature quite prominently. Courthouses always have big stairwells leading up to them. Um, and you, so you just get to see like people like, you know, standing on stairwells and speaking. So, uh, it's great. (laughs) (laughs) Easy. Yeah. (laughs) Um, this does make, um, so far, the three um, Varda uh, stairwells we have rated, the lowest is an A minus. So good on her. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, we just need to watch more Varda. Um, is what that seems to suggest. Yeah. <laughs> um. So I guess I can go unless you have final thoughts. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So th- one that I'm going to talk about. So. Most of the movies that I watched uh, that are in here were ones that I watched because they were in English, um, or in the case of 101 Reykjavik, a mix of English and Icelandic, and I like know enough that I could just glance at subtitles and follow, uh, because for basically all of these, I was building Gunpla, um, and so take with my ratings of stairs with a grain of salt, I guess. Um, I don't remember any stairs in Laura, um, but yeah... I, I recently watched Laura, um, mostly because I just noticed that it was on the Criterion channel um, when I was pulling up and deciding on movies to, to look at. Um, this is a 1944 film noir, and um, I watched it purely based on the recommendation of my hairstylist, Claire, who might be listening to this. Hi, Claire. Um, and... It was very funny as I was watching it and it was dawning on me of like, oh, they're recommending this to me because like we talk about David Lynch all the time. And this is just obviously an influence on Twin Peaks Um, to such a degree where like I believe David Lynch has confirmed that Laura Palmer is like the name Laura is a reference or like homage to the main character in this Laura. Uh, But the basic plot of it, I don't want to go into too much detail because... um, it's a it's a neo noir that has a lot of like like it's kind of a who done it like who did this murder and then there's just like twists at every turn basically um, this movie is like constantly pulling one over on you and so I don't want to like give away a, a lot of the stuff that comes up as it goes on uh, but the basic premise let me know if this sounds familiar to you Autumn um, okay so a girl named Laura has been murdered um, and okay. they find her body and Wrapped they're in trying to. Not wrapped in plastic, but they do find her. So she she was shot with a shotgun in a way where they could not recognize her face. Um, but it, it was in her apartment. Um, and basically, the the main character is this detective who, uh, you know, comes in and is interviewing a bunch of people who knew her. Um, and... Throughout it, like there, so a lot of it is taking place in these rooms, and there are these like portraits of Laura up everywhere. Um, there's like these large portraits and things, so you, you just continually see images of this dead woman as they are talking about um, who she was to them. Um, uh-huh. And there's conflicting versions of like conflicting, all of it is sort of around like what she meant to them specifically. And so a lot of it is like centered on the individual um, in this way where um, perhaps all of these things are true or perhaps they are, they are um, completely different. Uh, Some of the like mystery is trying to, to unravel that. Um, Does any of this sound familiar to you? (laughs) Just a a bit. And then um, also the detective who is like looking into this, like ends up becoming kind of infatuated with this dead girl. Um, Anyway, (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a, it's a great fucking movie. Um, like, <laughs> I joked on Lock Twitter, but it's kind of not a joke of if we ever do the Twin Peaks podcast, we should just start by watching Laura. Like, have that be the first I... episode. Um, <laughs> I know... That you're not going to do it because we will eventually do a Twin Peaks podcast, but I need you to see the return very badly. (laughs) (laughs) I need this with my whole entire heart and soul. I've never needed anything more than I've needed you to see the return. (laughs) Well, you need to start a podcast with me is what you're saying. (laughs) If only I were moving, say, 15 minutes away from you in the near future so that this might be more uh, feasible. Yeah. Um, we'll see. Well, we'll figure out availability if that happens, but who knows if that's going to happen. Um, anyway, um, what I found so interesting too, some of this is probably the uh, byproduct of, I was building Gunpla at the same time. Um, but I kind of watched it in a moment. I was just like, oh, this seems like it was like an influence on Twin Peaks. Um, and like in the way that I, I think I just have this mode when I watch film noir where I'm just going and expecting it to be this whodunit. And so at the in the moment, I was just like taken along for the ride of the twists, right? Like, oh, here's the, the new big twist that's being revealed. Um, and so in the moment, I was just like, oh, that was just like a fun, you know, um, like whodunit mystery, but like didn't really think that much of it. And then I woke up the next morning and I was like, oh my God, that movie was fucking incredible. <laughs> Um, once I was thinking of like the other stuff that they were doing that wasn't just like the base plot of trying to solve the murder. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a fantastic film. Um, I did not really see any stairwells in it though. Um, I know M also watched this and we'll probably talk about it on repertory screenings. I'm assuming, um, also loved it. M feel free to like, correct me if there's a great stairwell that I just missed because I was like, clipping out a piece from (laughs) you know some armor plating i was gonna put on a robot but um for the most part it's just all like clearly soundstage rooms um like i vaguely remember one of the characters like walking out the door where you can kind of see stairs beyond it but um yeah i gave it an f there there were no real stairs but that as always the stairwell quality is not uh a um endorsement of the quality of the film overall I have another movie I need to put on this spreadsheet, I just realized. Um, <laughs> you keep fucking adding movies. Yeah, sorry. Um, anyway, my next... Um, uh, I believe I've got that year right. Anyway, my next uh, movie to talk about is The Magician by Ingmar Bergman. I'm going to keep this brief because um, I don't really... I don't have much to say. Um, I guess I'll provide a, a, a very small amount of context and you might see why I don't have a lot to say. Um, in two years, um, Ingmar Bergman made four movies, um, two of which were The Seventh Seal and Wild Strawberries. Uh, <laughs> two of, like, <laughs> two of the mo- like, one, The Seventh Seal, one of my favorite movies, uh, I have not seen Wild Strawberries, but I know that is also one of the most beloved movies of the 20th century. Uh, <laughs> that might be my favorite. Um, I mean, there's there's multiple Ingmar Bergman that I like, but that might be my favorite as well, Strawberries. 
So, uh, The Magician is the last of four movies in two years. Um, and I think it doesn't have a lot to say or do that I haven't seen done in other Bergman. Um, <laughs> it's stylistically not as out there as Persona and Hour of the Wolf get. Um, but it is clearly like moving in that direction. It is clearly like gesturing at ideas that, um, he's going to get to in the sixties. Um, and it's not like quite as like dark and meditative as the seventh seal is. It's just kind of a middle ground movie, um, that I found pretty underwhelming. Um, I gave the stairs a C plus and I would probably give, um, I would probably give the movie a C plus because I'm saying it's underwhelming for Bergman. It's still mm-hmm. an Ingmar Bergman movie, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it's still better than most movies. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, I found the magician a little underwhelming. We watched that because, Nora knows that I love Bergman, and that's the one that caught her eye as the lover of wizards. She also felt pretty underwhelmed by that movie. Um, yeah. She thought she thought things were gonna like pop off more, and I also thought this because like Persona has set me up for like a way that things pop off in Bergman movies that this movie never quite gets to. So, yeah. Also, I believe that the Swedish title Ansiktet means the face. I think. Oh, um, interesting. Just as a note there. Um, my turn now, again? Yes. Um, so I'm going to talk about, I'll do Smooth Talk here. Um, I watched Smooth Talk for, so, uh, Swim Fans, uh, you know, podcast, movie podcast that some friends of mine do, um, they covered Smooth Talk and it sounded fairly interesting. Um, so part of it was just... I wanted to check it out for that reason. Um, And then also I knew from that, that thematically there was stuff that was related to things that I was thinking about in reference to some of the later parts of uh, revolutionary girl, Utena, which we've been recording currently for ghost divers. Um, This is a fucking incredible film. Um, The acting in this film. So I don't know how much you know about smooth talk. Um, Okay. I'll tell a brief story, which is that, Yesterday, um, I was really indecisive. I wanted to watch a movie. It was spent like 45 minutes being indecisive. At one point, I put on two minutes of smooth talk before realizing I don't actually know what this movie is or is about. I just knew that one, you had watched and liked it, and two, it had Laura Dern in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I was like, this looks like a good movie, but I maybe, um, don't know what this is and would like to know what I'm getting myself in for. So I spent another 20 minutes being indecisive after I turned off smooth talk. <laughs> um, so I think that smooth talk is like very firmly, uh, a horror movie. Um, mm. it is, and it is a horror movie, but it is a horror movie that is operating in like extremely real world horror. Um, like extremely real world horror because basically, so most of the, the beginning of the film is, um, Laura Dern, who, when this film was made was 18, um, being a teenager, um, within the, the film, I think she's supposed to be, uh, like a freshman in high school. So, you know, playing a character who's slightly younger, but not much. Um, Learning that she's 18 in that movie is kind of mind blowing because she, 
To me, she looked like Laura Dern, and so she looked like she was, like, 28, because Laura Dern has looked like she was 28 for years now. Yeah. (laughs) She Um. has a few wrinkles now, I guess that would make her look like she's 38, at most. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, her performance, I mean, the acting in general in this film is top-notch, but her performance in particular is incredible. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, if you are a fan of good acting, um, this is, like, some of the best acting I've seen from Laura Dern, and she's fucking 18 in the movie, which Mm -hmm. is wild. Mm -hmm. Um, One of the greatest actresses of all time. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But essentially, the the beginning of it, um, yeah, so I guess she's supposed to be 15 in the the film, um, but it's basically her, like... We get shots of her going to the mall with her friends and, um, you know, a lot of it is playing with this, like, like the opening scene is them, like, waking up on a beach, basically, where they've been hanging out and then going and pretending to have been at the mall when their parents come to pick them up. Um, and then, like, Laura Dern's mom yelling at her for not getting the the um, paint rollers that she wanted so that she could continue to paint the house. Um but uh, it basically progresses as like more and more men are taking interest in her. Um, and a lot of it begins with like younger boys. Um, but then it ends with this um, extended sequence where this guy shows up in a car who um, we've kind of seen following her around sometimes, I think. Um, says that his name is Arnold Friend, which of course would be a friend. Um and basically tries to like seduce her and eventually she finally goes with him. Um, this is like kind of spoiling the ending, but it is a horror movie and like the, the mounting tension of that is important. Also what I want to say about it is important to like know this about it. Um, and so I like this film a lot. The one thing that I have with it is that like, it is a really good horror movie but also it has some of the problems that exist in horror movies, which is that, um, like, this is basically the the story of, like, a, a young girl being, like, predated upon by a, an older man. Um, and we don't know what transpires when she goes with him in the car, but she does come back. Um, I think the, like, original story it was based on, um, it was more implied that she was, like, murdered. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, she does come back. Um, but it it is dealing in a lot of the tensions that like horror movies will also have around like budding sexuality in, in teens. Um, and part of that means that like the one kind of issue that I have with the film is just that it, it situates a lot of like the, um, like treat Williams playing a friend, um, is such like a, a supernatural, um, horror in this film, like it, he, he in many ways does not feel like a real human being. Um, mm-hmm. He 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 like there's like an allegorical quality to him um, that pushes him towards like this like uh, satanic tempter or something, right? Um, and by by having him become this like more distinct monster rather than just like an actual human being. Um, 
creates this this issue for me in that it then situates the blame of what happens in the family and not in like I think it's like trying to to some degree talk about like how society enables this stuff, but mm-hmm. because of how they're framing it and how because so much of it is around like the family life and everything, um, it feels like at the end that the 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 takeaway that I got, like if I'm trying to read this film, is that it is the the family's failure that this like young girl is predated upon. And not that like that this man is a predator. <laughs> right? Right. Um and that's like and there are like other societal things that can enable it, but it, it, it is this weird thing that like almost like in his monstrousness, like takes away some of the blame because he just behaves the way that a monster would behave and it like there's almost like a that's just what monsters are right um Mm -hmm. and so that was kind of the the weird part at the end where i was like i don't know if i agree with like the final thing here which is that like it's implying that it was like a failure of home life that this happened to her (laughs) um Mm -hmm. but it's still a fucking incredible movie. It works extremely well as a horror movie. Um, right. It is, it is honestly one of the most frightening films I've ever seen. It was very scary. Um, like the whole final confrontation is just um, like terrifying in a, uh, again, in a way that like when I talked about suicide circle being like what it is talking about is far more scary to me than like any film can be. That's just like, Oh, here are people getting like slashed to death or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, so, uh, I did give it an A plus. Um, I feel like they could have utilized the stairs a little bit more, but there are two things in particular. One is like where she's kind of, um, more like happily expressing, um, like her, her move into, you know, like puberty and things. And she's at the mall. Um, there's lots of great scenes on the, the escalators and it's almost always going up the escalators. Um, and then the big final moment before this whole com- uh, confrontation with like Treat Williams' character is her sitting at the top of the stairs in her family home, which is, is still like half painted because it's like constantly in the state of being painted and never finished. Um, again, some symbolic things about the failure of the home here. Um, but she's sitting at the top of the stairs, and then the car pulls up, and she goes down the stairs and like meets with Treat Williams' character. Um, Arnold friend um, and that was just like that shot <laughs> was great um, mm-hmm. so A plus great stairs in this film um, I liked it a lot I also have issues with it but it's a it's a fabulous film I'd recommend people watch it just go into it knowing that um, it it does deal with those difficult topics so um next I've got um hard-boiled which I kind of want to like talk about at length a little bit, and also am like dimly in the back of my mind, like we could do hard boiled on this podcast. Yeah, that's not out of the question. Um. Anyway, um, but basically, uh, hard boiled is fucking incredible. <laughs> <laughs> It's been a long time since I've seen Hardball. It was the first John Woo film that I ever saw. Um, it was, it back was also in, like... the first John Woo movie that I ever saw. <laughs> um, it was back in like very early undergrad. So um, it's been a long time since I've watched it. I'd be happy uh... to rewatch it. I do remember it being very gay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Okay. I, I'm sorry that I'm 
always like this, but that movie's fucking gay. <laughs> that movie's gay as shit. Sorry. <laughs> is this the one that um there's that that Twitter thread that I read to you that was just ridiculous about um like how people saying that male friendship is gay in in movies are like terrible because I don't remember his full argument. Um, and then he talked about hard-boiled and how they, like, feed each other food. And I was like, I don't know, it sounds gay, bro. <laughs> I don't believe that they feed each other food in hard-boiled, but it is pretty gay. It was definitely a John Woo movie, but I forget if I it could, was hard-boiled. It could, it could be the killer for all I know. Oh, I think um, it was. Yeah, I think that was it. I, I am downloading the killer as we speak, legally speaking. I, I just uh, purchased it, and I'm downloading a, a, a copy of it. Uh, anyway. Yeah. Um, so, hard-boiled. Um, uh, yeah, hard-boiled is an interesting movie to watch, like, the day after I watched Dragon Inn, because it's kind of a wuxia movie, a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. It is, like... Um, these like highly choreographed like fantastical set pieces um but the thing that is different from say dragon in too hard boiled is that like uh, obviously dragon in and we'll get to there you know in the main segment but is a very like fantastical movie people are like flying around and doing things that just humans could not do with their bodies but you need like skilled like fighters still to do that like you need people who know how to fight in the way that like people in jackie chan movies know how to fight people you know um and the thing that john woo finds in hard-boiled and i assume finds in throughout all of his work because i know that he does a lot of action movies is that um not all actors can do that uh but if you um have enough guns and a good enough special effects team you don't need people who can fight you need people who could jump (laughs) basically (laughs) um which then allows you to cast chow yun fat and tony lung um who are fucking movie stars (laughs) (laughs) who are like screen stealing presences in movies like the they have like the the two of them have like a gravity around them that like uh, just like is hard to describe until you see it um it, it is like a rare quality in like actors um and the two of them just have it um yeah. where like you are just magnetized to every little like emotion that crosses across that moves across Tony Lung's face and like every like fuck you that Chow Yun Fat delivers you know um it's incredible it's a little too long it's a little too long it's like two hours and ten minutes it could probably stand to be just a flat two hours but um like some of the pacing gets a little like okay Let's hurry it up here. But, um, fucking incredible movie. Um, yeah. uh, I guess that's all I had. I guess, I guess the main thing I took away from it was that, like, wow, Tony Lung and Chow Yun Fat are great actors. And, and, and 
It's just, like, not something you see all the time. I don't want this to be my normal, like, dragging, you know, cinema of the 2010s thing. Because I can think of very few actors in the 90s who had this. Like, I feel like the the last big star that had this was, like, Will Smith, and before that, it's, like, Jackie Chan. Like, I just think very few people can do this, and the fact that, like, John Woo gets two of them in this movie just makes it one of the best movies ever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I did give it a C-plus uh, for stairwells, because to my recollection, and granted, I I was a little high. <laughs> <laughs> while i was watching the movie but to my recollection there is only one stairwell um and it is just uh people probably know um if you know anything about hard-boiled you know that there's like a big action scene in a hospital like the the uh, uh, with about 45 minutes left hard-boiled becomes diehard in a hospital which is really impressive that for the first like hour and change it's like a regular action movie, and then for the last 45 minutes becomes a diehard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so there's a stairwell in the hospital that some hostages get shot on, but other than that, it's not like... I don't, I don't recall any stairwells. This is, of course, um, you know, our usual uh, no elevators rule applies here, because if elevators applied, it would get an S, but... Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, if people really have issue with our no elevator supply rule, they can, they can write in, um, we will have to go back and change the rating for Rebels in the Neon God. That's the big reason why, um, you know, I just feel like we can't. Yeah. I feel like we drew this line in the sand pretty early and we just have to roll with it. Yeah. Oh, Um, real quick. Since you mentioned Rebels of the Neon God. I was making my, like, best movies I saw in 2021 uh, list on Letterboxd the other day. Um, And Rebels of the Neon God was at the top of it. And then I thought about how that was episode four of our fucking podcast. I was like, (laughs) god damn. (laughs) It's simply the best movie ever made. (laughs) I think... um, I think my number one and number two, Rebels of the Neon God and Mulholland Drive, I might have... I might have put In the Mood for Love above both of those. I might have done that either way. Yeah. Um, so, another film that I watched was 101 Reykjavik. Um, this is directed by Baltazar Cormac here. Um, it was funny as I was watching this because I think with me you've watched two Icelandic movies. Um mm-hmm. We watched uh, Angels of the Universe for the podcast and then also um, together watched Noi Albanoi, less directly for the podcast. Um, we'll probably do it on the podcast at some point. Um, and I was just like, wow, you would already be like, oh, recognize that guy, recognize that guy, I recognize that guy, I recognize her. <laughs> um, because there's just I so mean... few actors. And also, like, 101 Reykjavik and Angels of the Universe were the same year. They were both 2000. Um, I am extremely also hitting this point with Hong Kong movies, and that's a much bigger industry. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Which which must be stressed. I think I had seen one Hong Kong movie before this podcast started. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, but, like, one of the things, too, is just that, like, there are so few that, like, even just, like, oh, this extra in the scene, I recognize him. (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I I decided to do one on one Reykjavik just because um, again I could kind of follow along with some of it, um, just like glancing at the subtitles and orienting myself and following the Icelandic, um, and also because it'd been a really long time since I'd revisited this film. Um, this was like one of the first Icelandic films that I ever saw. Um, I think it was the one I watched Noi Albanoi first. That was like the very first Icelandic film that I ever saw. And then I think this is the second one. Um, and I feel like this has aged poorly for me. Um, I thought of it more highly until I started watching again. And then I was like, oh, this actually like it, it is this like, thing uh this gen x perspective i think on the world that i just had a higher tolerance for when i was younger um but that now i see it and it's just like oh my like the so much of this film has this like tone of um like disaffected youth that culminates in like and so then you just give into the system man like it's all, none of it matters anyway. So you might as well just become a cop or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And this one, it's specifically like, there's a scene early on where he um, is like, just feeling, um, I think like extra pissed off um, the main character here, who by the way is uh, played by the character who, or the um, actor who played Pieter in um, angels of the universe, the, the roommate of the main character. Um, but, uh, yeah, this part where he's just, like, seems extremely pissed off and decides to start putting money in um, expired, like, parking meters. And then the because the, like, you know, meter maid guy or whatever is um, writing tickets for cars. And then, you know, the, that, like, meter cop gets all mad. Like, you can't do that. Um, and then it ends with him just being the, the cop who writes tickets for, like expired meters um and is like played as this Mm -hmm. like kind of snarky ending um it's yeah let me back up and like explain a little bit of what this this um film is though so it's based on a book of the same name um and the book is coming out and it is is um i think in some ways responding to like there's these different waves of literature in Iceland. Um, and so mm-hmm. there's like the sagas and then there's like Huddle or Loxness is kind of finally breaking like Icelandic literature away from just um, like revering the sagas above, above all else. Um, and then stuff kind of comes in the wake as it goes on, including um, this like city novel that is what I would situate like Angels in the Universe in, which is a lot of, it's written by a lot of people who like grew up in the, the abandoned army bases um and are are writing about like being a poor um like working class person in Reykjavik like in the city rather than writing about the countryside um and there's like this movement from like um the traditional the like landscape the the natural and like the countryside the farm to like this more modern urban life that people are are um starting to live more um and 101 Reykjavik kind of comes in the wake of that like further responding and and trying to like be even more um disaffected and jaded about city life um Mm -hmm. and after I watched this movie I went and reread some of the book and I was like oh I 
I like had affection for this because at the same time that I was reading 101 Reykjavik and like watching this movie, I was also reading Chuck Palahniuk books or however you say his name. <laughs> um, and it's like in that very same space of like, oh, we're like doing the offensive stuff, but like winking and nodding like this very Gen X approach. Um, like the, I think the book is even worse than the movie with this. Whenever any woman is mentioned in the book, um, because it's from the perspective of this character who's supposed to be the shitty dude, um, it's followed with the like money value he assigns to how hot that person is. Um, like he's just like a, a miserable man. <laughs> um, <laughs> but the, I was also laughing watching it um, of like, Wow. Um, Because I I remembered that part of the plot of the movie is that um, his mom's friend, like, comes to visit. um, I forgot that it was during Christmas, but is, like, coming to stay during Christmas. And then he basically has the hots for his mom's friend and ends up sleeping with her. Um, Mm -hmm. The part that I forgot is that it is revealed that um, his mom's (laughs) friend is her lesbian lover and the reason why she sleeps with him is so that she can get pregnant and they can have a baby because they want to have a kid together (laughs) so I forgot that the plot of this movie is like a a 20 something um, like just little shit uh, sleeping with his mom's MILF girlfriend (laughs) Um, so that they can have a baby together Um, yeah it's there are parts of this movie that I still enjoy. There are parts that are, are funny to me and like that um, feel like it, it's like starting to do something, but I just, the conclusion of it is so wretched to me. Um, like it, it in this way where the conclusion is like, Oh, now they've built like this queer family together where like he's helping raise the kid, which feels kind of good. But then it's like folding it into like, Oh, what we need to do is all like, like we need to like take queerness and all this other stuff and like fold it into the societal norm of like the family unit. We're just changing what that family unit looks like. And uh-huh. now he's finally getting a job and it's to go write tickets for people who have expired meters. Um, so yeah, I, I ended up being way lower on this film. Also, it's just remembering it's the exact same year as angels of the universe. It's just one, the plot is not nearly as good. And two, the, the cinematography is just way worse. <laughs> Um, Mm -hmm. so, um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting to revisit it. I, I was watching it being like, I first started and it was like, oh, it would be funny to do this as a Christmas movie for stairwells. And then as I continued watching it, I was just like, I don't know if I want to talk about this for an entire episode. (laughs) Yeah. Um, yep. But I gave it a C. Um, so one, there's a, a like set of stairs outside the building, um, that leads up to their apartment, which like, this is a common thing that exists in, in. Reykjavik, which we also saw in Angels of the Universe. Um, there's not too many good scenes on it, but it does exist there. Um, there is one more significant scene where he goes up the stairs to the school, which is like this like big concrete stair, you know, um, like going up to like a big raised area. And then he like goes up the stairs and we're following like through the windows as he's going up to the room and then gets into this argument with his girlfriend who um, is pregnant being like, you need to get an abortion. And then the like argument like goes back down the stairs and out into the street and like down the, you know, the stairs outside um, as they're Mm. arguing about this. Um, So that was the one where I gave it a C. I felt like they really could have done more with framing the stairs, Um, but they were still like, you know they're they're turning in an assignment that that was um acceptable 
So I gave it a C. Okay. Just like flat middle. Yeah. Um, my next one is Enter the Dragon. Right. Um, I watched this earlier this afternoon. Uh, not gonna go long on it because um, it's Enter the Dragon. I've seen this movie a dozen times. Um, it's one of the best movies ever made. Uh. You love Bruce Lee so much. I fucking love that guy. <laughs> I'm in the next. Uh, okay, the the time the the most recent Criterion sale. I limited myself on account of the move, and um, I bought a handful of movies that we'd watched on stairwells that I really wanted to own on Blu-ray. I bought Wings of Desire and The Moon for Love, a couple others, Houseu. Um, I'm forgetting what the Mulholland, which yeah. has been one of my favorite movies for years. And I do have DVDs of every Bruce Lee movie, including Into the Dragon. But I would like to buy that nice big Criterion box of all the Bruce Lee movies on Blu-ray because I love them. I love him. Um, It's a nicer box than the box I've got. (laughs) Um, So yeah, not going to go long on Ninja the Dragon. It's one of the best movies ever made he has that fight in the room filled with mirrors and he impales that guy on the spear that he tried to, to put through him you, you don't look at the finger or you'll miss all the heavenly glory it's one of the best movies ever made. it's fucking enter the dragon <laughs> yeah uh b minus on the stairs um there are a couple good shots that involve stairwells as the bad guy like goes up and down these stairs with like his little troop of um like uh concubines basically um nice nice shots nice stairs I, but not really like the 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 there could easily there could just as easily have been a door and no stairs you know like yeah just above, like, a average, you know? Um, I still get I still get fucked up when they kill... Um, uh, I'd never picked up on before, because I haven't watched this movie in a couple of years. Um, the one guy whose name is escaping me is definitely just a Black Panther. Like, that's what they're going for. But, like, I never picked up on that, because the last time I watched this movie, I was, like, 16, and I didn't know anything about the Black Panthers. But that one guy is just a panther, Um, and uh, I get fucked up every time he dies. Um, yeah. So, the last film that I'm going to talk about before we get to our actual film for the evening is another short film. Um, This is Reluctantly Queer by... Okusua Dina Ousu, um, who is from Ghana. Um, and I kind of just, so this was another one where I was just looking at, um, Criterion and I just saw it in, you know, the ones that were, were listed there. Um, I saw the title reluctantly queer and it gave me enough pause that I, I read a little bit more. And then I was like, Oh, this is about like, someone from Ghana who moved to the United States. Um, and it's like a short film. I can just easily watch this. It's under 10 minutes. Um, and so I was drawn to it because, um, 
uh, a friend of Emily and I's. Um, they are non-binary. They're queer, and um, they were, I believe, born in the U.S., but they're um, like their mother's from Ghana, and they have a a lot of cult- like connection to that culture. Um, and so, I, I was sort of interested. I was like, "Well, I'm you know, it's ten minutes. I might as well watch it." Um, it was a fantastic short film. Um, it's definitely one of those short films where, uh, like, I feel like this can, can kind of vary to some degree, but like this one is just like fully in the realm of like a poem, right? Like if a normal film is like a, a short story or a like novel or something, this is just a poem. Um, the way that it is framed is that it is a letter that he is writing to his mother. Um, unclear if this is a letter that he's ever sent to his mother who's still in Ghana. Um, and it is overlaid with lots of very intimate shots of him in his apartment. Um, and it starts out with kind of him alone, um, him in the shower showering. Um, and then also shots of him like laying in bed naked with his lover. Um, and a lot of what he's talking about is this, this difficulty of, um, you know, he ha- he has this connection to Ghana and, and to the culture and the people there. And yet because of um, the prejudices there and the like the the religion, like a lot of people in Ghana are like very, very heavily Christian. Um, like my friend who's from Ghana went trick or treating with um, like Emily and I and our toddler. And it was the first time that they'd ever been trick or treating because when they were growing up during Halloween, they just had to stay home and read the Bible. Um, and so, and they were like excited because someone let them take two pieces of candy when we were going around. Um, and so a lot of it is this like, you know, I have this connection here, but then I come to the United States and I can express this side of myself. And yet here I am dealing with like one, this like loss of culture that I, I'm coming from, as well as I'm now facing racism in a way that just does not exist back home. Um, and so it's a lot of that, like having these two places and, and feeling at home in different ways in both of them. And then also feeling, um, ostracized or like a stranger um in those spaces as well and like trying to to figure out how to um like operate and move in that space um so yeah it was it was a really wonderful film um i highly recommend it's on criterion channel so people can watch it it's fairly short um does not have stairs so it's an f but um, <laughs> <laughs> no stairs, not a single stair at all. Not even a small little like step down somewhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> Last but not least, Dragons Forever. Um, uh, I just was in a movie watching mood. I like I say, I watched Hard Boiled yesterday. I watched Enter the Dragon earlier today, and uh, Dragon started Dragons Forever um tonight uh like right after i finished enter the dragon dragons forever is a um stars jackie chan sammo hung and um yun bao and like they did a bunch of movies together in the 80s they all three still work together but this is the last movie this is 1988 where all three of them are in the movie together they are all sort of equally co-stars uh this is 1988. Jackie Chan is about to become 
the biggest movie star on the planet for a little while. Um, directed by Sam Ohung. Um, ju- just one of these. Uh, do you like Jackie Chan movies? Do you like... Um... I love Jackie Chan in the way that I think you love Bruce Lee. Um... <laughs> <laughs> do you like when um, Jackie Chan um, has a romance subplot that is weirdly outsized for a movie that is purportedly about fighting guys. Yeah. Dragons Forever got that. <laughs> Do you like um when the Jackie Chan movie has a really complicated plot for what should just be a movie about fighting guys? Dragons Forever's got that. <laughs> okay. Jackie Chan is playing a crooked, unethical lawyer. Uh, like the very first scene, he's like seen. The very first scene, um, uh, is him at lunch with a woman, um, who has been raped, and he's like, "I feel so bad for you." Blah blah blah. I I, I want to help you through this time. And then it is revealed that he is defending her rapist and like gets him acquitted. Um, Jackie Chan is a bad guy. <laughs> yeah. Um, he's like, ends up working for the, uh, working as the lawyer for this businessman who is draining, um, like, s- toxic waste into a fishery, um, and, like, recruits two of his friends, um, who are Sammo Hung and, um, Yun Bao to, like, basically try to, like, put this fishery out of business quietly um, while he just, like, keeps the court case, like, tied up forever uh, so that they can just do their scheme on the side. Jackie Chan's, like, a bad person in this movie. (laughs) In a way that's, like, easy to forget because most of the time he just has this romance subplot going on um, where, like, He's tricking this girl who works at the fishery uh, into being in love with him, even though they're, like, at opposite ends of this lawsuit, and she's suing um, one of his friends, and then his other friend is seducing the woman who owns the fishery, but they they can't know that Jackie and uh, this other, that Sam O'Hung's character know each other. It's really complicated for some reason. Also, the the subtitles um, were not the best translation, and so I had a little trouble following things, but it doesn't matter because most of the movie is just <laughs> excuses for fight scenes to happen. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I had 20 minutes left when we started recording, and I'm not reading the stairwell because the last scene that I watched is... Um, Sammo Hung getting apprehended by um, some American guy with the most plastic surgery I've ever seen in a film. Um, <laughs> and, like, okay, Sammo Hung is standing next to, like, three sets of stairs. And he, like, fights off, like, seven guys, but they eventually get him. And I'm sure Jackie is going to come save the day in a minute. And I, those stairs have been featured in so many shots, but I am positive in the last 20 minutes of this film, someone's going to get thrown the fuck down them. Might be Jackie, might be one of the bad guys, 
I don't know. But I'm I'm reserving judgment on these stairs until someone gets thrown down them. So yeah, uh, that's where we're at with dragons forever. Um, God, I love Jackie Chan. I fucking love this guy so much. <laughs> he's just he's he's got a lot of range, <laughs> you know. Yeah. As a, um, I feel like it's easy to like pigeonhole him as like Jackie Chan. He does that Jackie Chan thing, but he's doing like a lot of different stuff in like across all his movies. Um, I love the way because uh, one of my other favorite Jackie Chan movies, Robin B. Hood, also has him playing just an unabashedly terrible piece of shit person. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like. He's Jackie Chan, so you don't even notice that he's, like, the worst person ever. Yeah. And then there's, like, Police Story 1 and 2, where he also plays just the absolute fucking worst person, a cop. Um, <laughs> don't forget no, he's Police Story 3, that, Super but... Cop. Yeah. <laughs> um, Definitely how... one of the funniest aspects of Hard Boiled is how much it's, like, well, you just gotta respect the cops. And I'm like, I don't actually. I don't. Yeah. <laughs> you do know that that was intentionally because um, he had made movies glorifying gangsters and people got mad at him for it. So he made a movie glorifying cops instead. I I, I read that on Wikipedia. It's very funny. Um, everything with Tony Lung in that movie being like, I've been this evil gangster guy, but in my heart, I'm actually a cop. And like the way that this movie accidentally says that those two things are the same thing um, <laughs> is very funny. Also very funny uh, in contrast to um, Infernal Affairs, like 10 years later, also starring Tony Long, just unironically being like, no, the cops and the gangsters are the same thing. like we're like i i guarantee that the people who made infernal affairs um just watched hard-boiled and were like what if we just took all the gunfights out and made this a melodrama and you know what that movie rules On the topic of movies where cops suck, do we want to talk about Dragon Inn? Yeah, let's talk about Dragon Inn. Um, this movie fucking rules. This is the longest... Honestly, we covered a lot of movies for only an hour, but this is the longest intro into <laughs> an actual discussion we I think we've ever had. <laughs> That's fine, because the Dragon Inn discussion is going to be a little light, I feel like. Yeah. Uh, I have my you know, things we'll that see. I want to say, but um, yeah, like let's let's be I honest. Like at least fifty percent of why we watch this movie is just because we thought it would be cute to watch it before we watch Good uh, Goodbye Goodbye Dragon in the movie that we really want to watch. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, also, I feel like our discussion is going to be light because we got like five questions, and almost all of them touch on points I wanted to make. So, like, if if. If anyone feels like I'm rushing past the, like, actual discussion segment, it's because that you all, like, just mentioned things that I wanted to mention in your questions, so. Yeah. Anyway. Um, Dragon Inn, 1967. Um, directed by King Hu. Um, a prolific and, uh, other than, uh, uh, and I'm probably going to mispronounce this, Cy Hark, uh, King Hu and Cy Hark are, like, 
the two like biggest most beloved directors in this genre um uh Cy Hark comes like a little later uh than King Who does um yeah this is um King Who notably too so King Who was like one of the big directors for the Shaw Brothers studio yes um, yes which honestly just like did a incredible number of films um and like there's a, a Shaw Brothers style to a lot of martial arts films as well as like Wuja specifically, which is what this film is, um, which mm-hmm. is like more of like a, a um, period focused form of martial arts. Like a lot of it takes place in um, ancient Japan, uh, often has like a, China <laughs> or yeah, ancient China. Um <laughs> In my defense, I'm very tired right now. Um, but it, yeah, in ancient China and, um, you know, has, uh, I would say compared to like your standard martial arts might have a, a higher um, like appearance of magical things happening, which doesn't happen a ton in this, but still like, you know, things are a little mm-hmm. bit more, um, I don't want to say like cartoonish, but like, you know, there's like more wire foo in here where they are um, doing these things that are just like not actual things human beings can do. Um, Yes. Which is also a big thing of like, you know, it, I think a big one that most people have seen is um, crushing tiger, hidden dragon and some of the stuff that followed. And like, that also is like, which is importantly like Ang Lee is deliberately doing homage to King who with crouching tiger. Like that is like, there are other directors in this genre, but if you ask Ang Lee about that movie, he's going to be like, yeah, I just wanted to make a King Who movie. Yeah. Um, um, but, and so this, this film comes after, so in 1965, um, this is sort of the, the time of the Cultural Revolution in China. And so he leaves the Shaw Brothers studio after completing Come Drink With Me, which is... Um, Another, like, I think it's my favorite of the genre. It's just a fucking incredible film. Um, oh, but uh, just wanted leaves to... and, and goes to Taiwan and um, makes this film, which is also a great, great film. Br- brief note, uh, just because it's relevant to everything else we've been talking about. Um, Jackie Chan appears as a child actor in Come Drink With Me and appears as a stuntman in A Touch of Zen, King Who's next movie. So we picked the one King Who movie of this time frame (laughs) that Jackie is not in, which I think is funny. (laughs) Yeah. Um, God, I love Come Drink With Me so much. Um, Well, we may watch that at some point when we want to return to the Wuxia well, but... Um, but yeah, and so, um, this may, like, let me know if you have, if you're drawing any connections in your, your head here about, um, you know, leaving China during the Cultural Revolution to go to Taiwan and makes this film Dragon Inn, um, wherein the beginning is a bunch of children, uh, are exiled from China and then the secret police are trying to kill them. As they're being mm-hmm. escorted away, uh, <laughs> the secret police, led by one officer named Mao. Yes, <laughs> Mao Shai Chen. Yeah. <laughs> um, this movie's really on the nose about what it's about. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But yeah, I I think I'm I'm like quickly looking at some of the there's definitely some points in here that will come up in the the um like emails when we get to them, but I think a a big one for me just thinking about this is also the um like the main guy in this film the the like primary hero who we get extended sequences with him like just alone with basically this the secret the basic plot is like the children are they're like chasing the children um i forget exactly how they they lose them or something but then they're hanging out at this dragon gate inn um or dragon inn the, the, um, specifically, the secret police are hanging out of the dragon. Yes, game. yes. Um, while they're like basically trying to to wait and um, you know, hopefully catch the these kids, um, that are you know from some like political opponent who has been um beheaded, um, by the the emperor's first eunuch, uh, who's the the big villain at the end of this film, um. Yeah, and so uh, they're hanging out at the inn, and then basically some, like, the main characters, the heroes of the film, kind of just stumble into this inn, and all turn out to be, like, martial arts masters. Mm. Um, And a lot of the film is honestly just them showing up and, um, like, messing around with the, the secret police, and then eventually it, like, turns into an actual confrontation. Um in the end of the film. But I my like I think my favorite sequence in the entire film is when the the first guy shows up who's kind of the main hero. Mm-hmm. Um and his like acting, like just his, the way that he carries his body is so yeah. fucking incredible yeah. as he's yeah. just being like a a bratty little shit to these secret police. Um <laughs> yes. <laughs> Um, yeah, he, like, shows up, um, they, like, tell him to leave, and he basically says, like, no, um, he orders, uh, noodles with mutton, and then one of the, the, like, police guys are like, oh, I also want that, and they're like, oh, I'll go get you, and they're like, no, I want his, and, you know, (laughs) like, there's, like, this tension, and then he, like, just throws the bowl to them, like, and it lands perfectly without spilling a drop, um, and yeah, it's just <laughs> like the flick of his wrist, the way that he like gestures at it afterwards, all those like little movements are mm-hmm. so incredible. Um, yeah. Some of my favorite parts of this film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we watched this movie twice mm. because I watched uh, this movie twice. <laughs> you watched this movie twice. I watched this movie one and a half times generously. <laughs> Being very generous to myself by saying one and a half. Yeah. Uh, I'm moving to Chicago. Uh, Nora and I made a big trip out to Chicago to drop off some stuff, get the keys to the new place, and then we, uh, I crashed on Nia's couch. Nora and I both did. Um, and we started watching this movie so that we could record the following day. And I fell the fuck asleep because I had driven six hours. (laughs) And then moved a bunch of boxes. Yeah. Um, Um, But I didn't see this. It was funny, too, because um, it was understandable that you fell asleep. But then there's this like brief moment where I'm like, you're asleep. Um, Nora and I are just watching it. I'm like, kind of being like, do you you want to stop? or Are you enjoying this? And Nora was just like, no, we can keep watching. (laughs) 
<laughs> so yeah, we just I just watched it with Nora. It was great. Um, and then you were gonna watch it again, and I was free, and I was like, yeah, I'll watch it with you. Um, um, it feels weird to me. Like it would feel very weird to me to record a podcast about a movie that we didn't watch together. I just I go in knowing like how we feel about it for these recordings but, because we watch them together. <laughs> I mention this because like the so the start of the movie is very focused on this like you know Yojimbo man with no name type character. Um, I, I legit Shao Shao is his name. Who's just like a a traveling martial artist. Um, and the beginning of the movie made made me think that it was gonna be one of these movies. As the movie goes on, it becomes a bit more ensemble cast, which is fine. I I yeah. enjoyed the rest of the movie, but definitely the strongest part of the movie was this opening section that's just about him. Um, and I mention all this to say that the. The first time I watched this movie, I fell asleep very shortly after he, um, somebody shoots an arrow at him, he catches it in his cup, flips the cup around, smacks the cup, and parries the arrow directly back into this man. <laughs> yeah, who, like, shot it through a window. And, and somebody else, like, throws a knife at him, and he catches the knife with his chopsticks, and I lost my mind when this happened. <laughs> and the second time I watched it, I still lost my mind. <laughs> because that's incredible. Yeah. Nothing else in the movie could quite match catching a knife with your chopsticks, but that's fine. Nothing else needs to match that moment. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I think this movie is a little front-loaded with like my favorite stuff, but... Um, very much enjoyed this movie. Um, yeah. I there's a lot of like like even having watched it once before and then watching it like two or three days later with you again and seeing the ending. Um the final duel, despite how like um I guess the thing that we can we can get into a little bit is like how I don't think that these films are concerned with like um verisimilitude of reality um mm -hmm. so despite like how over the top some of the action is and how like obviously fake stuff looks um there's still just like a very good rhythm to the final fight in particular that like builds tension even as i know exactly what's going to happen because i watched it literally a couple days ago um, <laughs> um but yeah I, I do really enjoy the final fight, although it's very funny how much of it is um, the main guy just insulting, um, I think, Cao or like Cao is the um, mm -hmm. the name of the eunuch and just like repeatedly insulting him for, you know, not having a penis, basically. Yeah. Um, and, and, and oh, look at the the emasculated people who are running China thinking yes. emoji. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, like very specifically, like you're not, you know, a man the way that I am because I fuck. <laughs> yes. Um. Um. The 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 um. Yeah, I I feel like this is a thing that we. This is like the thing that we repeat. Just constantly. Every episode of this podcast, I feel like it comes up. But, like, I feel like this movie is just an ex excellent example of that, like, portraying reality is 
oftentimes a stupid and worthless goal. Um, yeah. I, you know, there are times where it makes sense. Let's say, for example, the uh, Agnes Varda documentary about the Black Panthers, where I don't want unreality. I wanted to see what it was like to be at those protests and that it, like, comes across. But, like, yeah. in action movies, I don't care about things that are real. I care about guys getting cut up with swords. Yeah. <laughs> when you, um, Cause you feel so deprived at the beginning of this movie that you don't get to see the beheading of the, mm-hmm. the like general whose children are being exiled. Um, they, they show him getting down on his knees and the executioner walking up with his sword and then no beheading. Yeah. But at up. the very end of the movie where they defeat the, the first eunuch of China, um, you get to see his him getting beheaded, and it's great. Um, they finally pay it off. But it looks fake as shit, but you don't care. You just want to see a dude oh. get beheaded. They finally give yeah. it to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's called edging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> of your sword. Yeah. <laughs> um, um. But yeah, like, so much of, like, a, a big thing, and this is just in this style, but this film, you know, this is the first film that we've done that's like this style of action. Um, the sound effects in it are so, like, they are very clearly meant to just give you the the rhythms and the, like, the feeling of the fight. And in no way to, like, try and make it sound like actual footsteps or actual sword right. swings or um, actual clanging. Um of like blades together. It's like literally using the sound effects in the same way. Often it will get mixed with the same, like kind of, um, you know, uh, like a tempo, like, uh, drumming music or, or things like that. Um, where it just almost becomes a part of like the soundtrack where it's just, you know, Mm -hmm. they'll have the sound effects and then there might be like some drums that will also further fill in some of the rhythm, um, because they don't have a sound effect to put in there, but Mm -hmm. you know, it, it all, it's just to give you like the sense of the fight more so Mm -hmm. than make it actually believable that these people are swinging swords at each other. Um, Yeah. Well, and like the, 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 the thrill of watching a Bruce Lee movie is that you know, like, when the when that one guy grabs Bruce and Bruce does a backflip and kicks him in the face to get out of the grab, you understand that, like, Bruce Lee is, like, physically strong enough and, and that the people working with him are, like, prepared enough that that guy got kicked in the goddamn face. <laughs> that Bruce yeah. Lee actually did a backflip and kicked that guy in the face. That's, like, the thrill of watching that. The thrill of watching this um, is is not that. Uh, these are very skilled actors who, like, understand, like, you know, how to use swords and and, and things like this. Yeah. But the thing, the, the thrill is not, like, the actual, like, physical feat, but rather, like, these people spend a lot of time choreographing and rehearsing um a dance you know and that dance happens to involve one of them being fucking dead and there being gore everywhere at the end of it (laughs) yeah (laughs) um yeah that it it is one of those where because again there is like a uh 
physicality on display here and like the impressiveness of like what these actors can do with their bodies. Um, but so much more of it is like, even in what we were talking about with like the gestures he does when he's like being bratty to the, the cops, you know, and not fighting them, but just like being smug and moving his body about. Um, that's almost like, like this is far more of a dance, I think than something like, you know, I love Jackie Chan. So like police story is fucking incredible because it's just like, oh, wow, these are just fucking incredible stunts. He's just a stunt mm. man. And we're like seeing some of the most incredible stunts ever done on film all in one mm-hmm. movie. Um, yeah. And that's also a performance and it is not a performance. Like there are fights in police story, but honestly, the fights are not the stunts people talk about. The stunts people talk about are like, he literally grabs onto a, a cord covered with like light bulbs and slides down it many many floors in a mall um Mm -hmm. and just like wrecks his hands falls through like glass uh (laughs) one man's hatred of glass um and it's just (laughs) fucking incredible like and they know it's incredible and they just show you the stunt from like four different angles um yeah you just see it multiple times not because like it makes sense for the story for you to see that stunt multiple times because you want to see that fucking stunt multiple times (laughs) Well, um, like, and, and and with Dragons Forever, like, the, the attraction is the fights, but that's because you had, like, like, the three co-stars are all incredible fighters and actors, and so, like, you could get really complicated fight scenes with the three of them, um, you know, like, that is the thing that is on display is, like, look at the crazy shit that if you get, like, three people who are like just immensely talented in this way together like the shit that they can pull off you know yeah. um also a lot of gra- a lot of glass does break in that movie a not inconsiderable <laughs> amount jackie, jackie chan, chan fucking hates glass <laughs> hates glass hates that shit um the, yeah the other thing that like you know i think it's just an interesting i i enjoy a lot of like this Asian action style far more than um, a lot of American action, because I think it has more of an appreciation for like the performance of the actors um, in whatever like means that might take. Um, But what I also find interesting about this film is, especially because so much of it is sword fighting. um, You can also kind of see the distinction here between this, like, um, you know, Hong Kong, like, Taiwan Chinese style of action um and then the like Japanese Chambara style the the samurai films where um things are still so much more choreographed here I think than they are in Chambara um Chambara is like a a genre I often has kind of like the lead actors I feel like are even more um focused on and so the fights often have this feeling of like that actor is kind of just leading like, okay, you come up to me now and I'm going to like slice you in half. You come up to me now. Um, there's less of this like choreography that you get in Dragon Inn where, you know, you have the three people all charging at once and it's how do they take out all three, you know, with like some maneuver. Um but it's because what Chambara is interested in is is like really the um like rivalry stuff that comes up 
where you'll have two people face off and then you have the really long tension, um, which, you know, then went on to like inspire uh, spaghetti Western stuff like Sergio Le- Sergio Leone just like pulls this out and extends it even longer than most Chambara do, where mm-hmm. you just have dudes staring at each other for minutes. And then finally mm-hmm. someone does a, a like single maneuver, like a single action, and then the other person's dead. Um, yeah. Or they both do the action at the same time, and you still don't know who's dead until someone falls over. Um. <laughs> I mean, like, this is, um, you know, thinking about this in relation to, like, Jackie Chan movies, like, one of the interesting things is that, like, um, you know, in Jackie Chan and in Bruce Lee movies, like, people are punching people. And so, like, there's not that, like, there's not always that, like, you know, tension of, like, who's going to throw the first punch? Because, like, you can take a punch and get back up, you know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and Dragon Inn has a lot more tension because, like, when people take one one hit from a sword and they're down in this movie, like, people die quickly. And so there's a bit more of that, like, tension that's not there in, like, a punching movie because, like, you know, these people have to consider, like, am I willing to, like, put my life on the line in this moment, you know? Um, yeah. And then, like... In some ways, I I see like the Sergio Leone style as like a as a further extension of that. I was like, you know, there's like an intentionality to swinging a sword at somebody. They can parry you. You know, this could be like a longer confrontation. Um, in a gun movie, you almost need the like minutes long stare down because like, you know, it's over so quick. It's yeah. you know. <laughs> There's you no... get shot with a gun, you're fucked. Yeah. I mean, this is, like, the, the thing that is crazy about Hard Boiled is that Hard Boiled, like, um, doesn't do that, does not have the minutes of tension, but it is extremely, like, there are just, like, hundreds of people die over the course of Hard Boiled. <laughs> like, people just, just getting blown up left, right, and center. There's a way in Hard Boiled that, like, shotguns are, like, fucking rocket launchers of just, like... Six people just blow up when they get hit by a shotgun. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and since Sergio Leone is not going for the sort of like acrobatics that like uh, John Woo or a King Hu is going for, like you just have the tension. Um. I should watch Once Upon a Time in the West. I don't think I've seen that movie in like ten years. Yeah. Um. um... It's one of my favorites. I love that movie a lot. The other like big thing that I want to talk about is the the way that this movie f- frames things, but I feel like we have an email that's going to talk about that. So we might just want to get into emails unless you have like more stuff that you feel like an email doesn't cover. Um no, I feel like I feel like people have sent a lot of good emails in, so um Oh, I thought of one thing I want to mention real quick which I don't think is mentioned in an email. Um it's very funny that this happens in a lot of like um movies from like especially this time period um it's just very funny how they do absolutely no work within the film to try to disguise the woman who's supposed to yes. be like disguised as a, a man um <laughs> there, there's no work within the actual film because they just still want you to know that she's a pretty actress um mm-hmm. And uh, you just have to believe that when the guy says my little brother and everyone says he to refer to him or whatever, um, you know, 
that just everyone is convinced she's just passing perfectly <laughs> um, this this is like a trope this comes up in a lot of these yeah. movies and i always find it hilarious um it's just very funny um, um that 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 reminded me of a brief uh thing i wanted to mention with dragons forever that i just thought was funny um dragons forever the very first scene has jackie like getting lunch with a woman and you're like oh that's the love interest and then in the second or like the second or third scene you see him uh talking to a second woman who is like slightly prettier and you're like oh that's the love interest. That's his like his assistant. That's going to be the love interest. And then in the next seed, you meet a a woman who is the love interest, and like the camera like wants to like establish like no 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 this is the prettiest of the three women. Forget about those other two you just saw because this is the love interest. I just think that's funny. I just think it's funny. <laughs> yeah, that's all I had. Um, before I get to emails, can I go to the bathroom? Yeah, go for it. Okay, I'll be back. <laughs> I I just want to say, um, Lem has joined us for this entire podcast, but was already taking a nap in here when I came in to record. Um, and so he's still just napping in the laundry. <laughs> <laughs> the the way to avoid Lem trying to break in during podcasts. Emails? Emails. Uh, first email uh, from Nora Blake. Uh, quick question. Uh, dragon in what? Yeah. Dragon in what? I Okay. I should provide <laughs> some context. Um, Nora said that out loud to me, and I don't... I don't think I was either high or drunk when she said it, but I did laugh for like three solid minutes when she said dragon and what to me. And I was like, please email that to the podcast. I hope everybody else enjoyed dragon and what as much as I did. <laughs> yeah. I also have already heard this joke. So um, Nora said this joke to me while we were watching the movie. So I have yeah, also I was already laughed at it. Yeah. So Shuo has three questions. Um, none of them are about Dragon Inn, but that's fine. One, choose another movie to be made about going to see that movie. So this like, one's kind of about Dragon Inn. <laughs> this one's kind of about Dragon Inn. This is more about Goodbye Dragon Inn. So, yeah. like, for example, a movie about people going to watch Mulholland Drive or something. Uh, yeah. That gets a little too meta, I feel like. Um... You get to the no eye Bonda scene and like the movie just kind of falls in on itself. You can't do the goodbye dragon end of Mulholland Drive, I don't think. I mean, you you could. You just need to. You need to really know what you're doing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, another... we haven't seen it yet, but um, people going to see Goodbye Dragon Inn would be funny. <laughs> that would be <laughs> funny. <laughs> um um part of me is like i i'm trying to think about this because of like some of the stuff that i know about goodbye dragon Inn. um because some of it is like you know 
the the like basic premise of Goodbye Dragon Inn is that they are it's the last movie that's being shown in a theater before it closes. Um and so it is thinking about history and it's thinking about like the the um death of like this mode of cinema that once existed um as like theaters continue to shut down. Um so I'm trying to think of like what would be a good one specifically for that. Um not necessarily like that exact you know framing but like something that that would be like engaging with um a cinematic past. Mm-hmm. I I think a German film about people going to see Wings of Desire could be interesting. Um Yeah. As like people going and watching a film that is like about the the film is being shot with like this perspective of the Berlin walls just going to like exist for ever for a very long time. Um, and then literally like a few years after it was made, the Berlin wall fell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so I think you could do some interesting stuff around there where you would have people going and watching this film um, and like commenting or, you know, the film could comment on like how Berlin has changed. Um, I think that would be an interesting movie. Um, I had two ideas. Um, because I was trying to think about like I think Dragon Inn is like a good pick for this movie because it has historical relevance, you know. Um, but it is also a light action movie, you know. Yeah. Like, like I wouldn't. <laughs> Um, you don't want to do, like, um, a really involved, like, plotty, like, engrossing movie, because, like, you can't have people get distracted from the movie then, you know? Yeah. Um, but I had, I had two thoughts that are actually kind of in this direction, which is, one would be Perfect Blue, um, like... I think people sitting and watching Perfect Blue and, like, one, being shocked by, like, the reveals and the twists and all that. And also, like, you can do this sort of, like, Perfect Blue to me is so much about um, the, like, direct-to-video marketplace and about, um, um, is about, like you know, the way that a very low stakes thing is treated with very high stakes. Uh, the, the like perfect blue is about um, cheap nineties movies um, and people's lives getting destroyed over them. Yeah. Um, and you can do a movie of people watching perfect blue and like, sort of like think about like how has media changed since then? Um, how is more specifically, how has it not changed? How does it feel like it has changed? How, how might the surface of it have changed? But it, like, you know, people's lives still get destroyed. You know, I think you could, yeah. I think you could find a way to do that. Um, the other thought I had would be Sonatine, which is just like a movie about people being sad and watching Sonatine. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> not much to um, it. <laughs> I 
I so part of it I I have not seen like I've seen parts of Goodbye Dragon Inn I think I haven't seen all of it um so I don't know if they do like a real time conceit in it or not um I know they don't because it is shorter than Dragon Inn is so okay um yeah. I think it would be fun to do a real time conceit and make a movie that is about a bunch of people watching all five battles without movies. Um, and just like in a theater where it is just like people getting drunk and chain smoking as they watch this Yakuza movie, uh, or Yakuza series. Um, there's and... a very different version of that. That is, um, a real time conceit of people watching, um, cause I remember people used to do this regularly. No one does this anymore, but watching the Lord of the Rings extended cuts, <laughs> the whole trilogy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is ridiculous. Like ten hour real time movie of people watching Lord of the Rings <laughs> and gra- the just the gradual like physical and mental degradation that happens when you do that. Um I'm I'm specifically thinking about this like battles with that one because there's so much there are like different reasons that you can have people there. Like I think like you could have, like, here's, like, the guy who just doesn't want to go home and is just, like, in this theater because he can just be here for the entire screening and it's a really long period of time and he's just, like, depressed and chain-smoking. Um, you, you could have, like, storylines happening around him. Um, you could have, like, the the people who are there and just like want to see it but are getting so confused by the plot line they're like trying to follow it um but are like engrossed in the movie in the way that like a lot of people aren't who are watching it um you could have the character who throughout the course of the the movies is realizing that he's gay and that these movies are gay <laughs> um it would be great there's just you could have so many different people watching the film um and and having different experiences with it um anyway i'm sure there'll be no gay content in goodbye dragon Inn. i'm just sure it won't be in there um, it's not like it, it yeah. seems to be a recurring preoccupation of Simon Long's works. <laughs> um, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm uh, so excited for us to watch this movie. I, I know exactly one thing about Goodbye Dragon Inn, and that it is that there is a gay person in it. <laughs> <laughs> that is like literally the only thing I know about this movie. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, anyway, um, Joao continues, um, choose a French movie that you hate to receive a remake done, done by Wong Kar Wai. Uh, <laughs> all right. I have to, like, 400 blows. It's an easy one to fill out. I, li- I don't like 400 blows. I think he would do a good job with it. That feels easy. That yeah. feels like, oh yeah, Wong Kar Wai, make, you know, your own version of what is probably your favorite movie, except being a, about being a child in Hong Kong instead of being a child in Paris, like, or, I don't actually know where Wong Kar Wai grew up, um, but yeah, uh, that feels facile, <laughs> almost. <laughs> yeah. Um... What are other... I don't want him to... I don't want him to do Breathless... That's the that's the French movie I hate. Uh, 
I hate many French movies, but that's the one. Um, I want Wong Kar Wai to do Alphaville. Uh, that's the French movie that I hate the most. Um, I hate Alphaville so fucking much. It's my least favorite movie I've ever seen in my entire life. That's not true. Um, Napoleon Dynamite is that. But I, for like movies that I went in being like, oh yeah, I've enjoyed some French films. I'll watch this. I fucking hated it so much. <laughs> it's such a stupid fucking sci-fi movie. I hate it. Sorry, Em. I hate fucking... <laughs> I know that like repertory screenings did an episode on Alphaville. Um Wong Kar Wai, though, make it good. <laughs> I am um, the, the the if I was going to do. Eh, OK, Em and I were just the other day talking about Pierre LeFou, so which is why it's on my mind, because otherwise I hadn't thought about this movie in years and years and years. Um, uh, I don't like Pierre LeFou. Uh, uh, Pierre, I can't say it right. Anyway, French is a stupid language. Um I don't like that movie, but it is about, like, a man and a woman, like, kind of hating each other, but, like, kind of being in love or maybe just wanting to fuck and going on a road trip. Um, I feel like Wong Kar Wai could do something with that. I feel like he could do something with that that's probably more interesting than his version of The 400 Blows, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, Other French movies I hate... Um, there's just so many of them <laughs> here's the actual thing is that I've only watched like six of them because I just don't like any of the ones I watch well okay either you get like a Godard who I hate unabashedly you get Truffaut who I've seen one of his movies and I assume I'll hate all of them uh, and then occasionally you get um, Le Samurai or Cleo from 5 to 7 which are two of my favorite movies ever made um, I I love those two movies, but for some reason, just still have in my heart that I hate all French movies. Um, one of these days, I'm gonna watch Beauty, uh, La Belle La Bête, uh, off, uh, uh, off air. Um, and I will finally know whether or not I hate all French movies. The other thing is like, I could pick last year at Marin Bad. I just don't think that like Wong Kar Wai is gonna do anything more with that movie i haven't seen it but i like kind of vaguely know that it's like a french movie that is meditative that like plays around with like time or something i could say hiroshima monomore i'm sure he loves those movies and i don't like i don't want to do a Wong Kar Wai remake of like movies that i i'm sure that he loves you know <laughs> yeah uh i just don't watch that many french movies <laughs> that's the actual thing i just assume i hate them all yeah um i don't hate as many as you but also it's it's funny to me to hate on them so the the thing the actual thing is that i hate breathless so much that i just assume i'm never going to like a french new wave movie yeah. i hate breathless also i hate the 400 blows the the one two punch of hating those two movies the way that I do really just does a number on my patience for French movies. Uh anyway. Last question from Juo. Um what are the anime girl archetypes of the main characters from The Hunger? Uh also bonus points if you do Butch Casty. We're not doing Butch Casty because I I'm 
I'm not trying to wrap this up, but we're at almost a two hours. You know. Yeah. Anime girl archetypes for Susan Sarandon and um the other one. I yeah, I think we need to do Susan Sarandon, um, Catherine Deneuve, and then also David Bowie. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Catherine Deneuve um, was the person whose name I could not remember. Yeah. Um I think Catherine Deneuve might be Yandere. Catherine Deneuve is definitely Yandere. Also a little um, Ojo. Yes, yes. Um, Susan Sarandon is, um, I'm just looking, um, I think there's maybe a, sensei. Maybe. I think there's a little bit of like, um, Bokuko in, in her as well. I was, I was about to say Bifonin for like almost the same reason, you know? Yeah. Like the just like the the cheekbones and the the jawline there, you know. Yeah. Um, she is attractive to both genders. I don't know. Maybe just a hint of kamidare, a yeah. little bit of like bossy and um, like I get what I fucking want, you know. Yeah. Here's the thing about David Bowie. David Bowie is mm-hmm. absolutely Bifonin. <laughs> yes. Um, Bifonin is David Bowie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> David Bowie is a man who uh, carries himself as a princely woman. <laughs> we know so many lesbians with the same gender as David Bowie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um. um. I think I think in the film too is maybe a little bit um cheeky guy. You know? Yeah, for sure. For sure. He spends a lot of that movie being confused. Yeah. <laughs> um I think that does it. Yeah. Um Butch Cassidy's in there. You get bonus points and I don't. Rick asks, um, do you prefer more fantastical martial arts cinema um, a la Zoo Warriors from the Magic Mountain or more grounded uh, technical martial arts films like um, 36 Chambers or Dragons Forever? Um, Which I started watching that movie before I saw Rick's email just to, um, uh, I guess say that i also i had meant to watch 36 chambers yesterday but i the version i downloaded only had subtitles in chinese so i had to like mm. delete that and um watch uh hard-boiled instead so um uh because i cannot read chinese <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> anyway um i definitely my preference is for more grounded movies um you know, like I say, I I come I come at martial arts movies from a place of um loving Bruce Lee movies. That is like my entry point to this. And so like I have a I have a great deal of appreciation for something like Dragon Inn, but like my uh, my like preference is is um 
like the the movies of my heart are the enter the dragons you know yeah um yeah i mean i love jackie chan and i think jackie chan is also more in this like grounded technical martial arts um often veering more into just stunt work uh like still has like great fights and and is excellent at that as well um but so much of the joy of martial arts films for me is just like actually seeing the actors like do these things. Um, it's just like seeing what the human body can do. And that stuff comes out in some of the more fantastical martial arts, but um, it's just, I think it's showcased more here. Like I'd rather just see someone do a, a sick jump for real than a wire foo jump. Um because it's just exciting to see that. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rick's uh, next question is, what's your favorite f- fight in a martial arts movie? Um, easy answer for me. Um, uh, for, for people who don't know Fist of Fury, um, Fist of Fury has the same plot as every martial arts movie, which is that um, uh, Bruce Lee is the... Um, student at a uh you know dojo uh in china and some japanese imperialists come in and like dishonor him and dishonor his dojo and dishonor his like uh like his way of life and so he has to teach these uh japanese scum uh you know very much like this is like the worldview of the film um and also there are a million japanese movies that are the the reverse of this like look at all these like chinese people coming in and like dishonoring us um uh so there's a incredible scene of like um bruce lee goes to a karate dojo that is like set up shop in town um and challenges everyone at the dojo at once and kicks all of their asses and it's fucking great (laughs) yeah um um i think for me um this is this is like a weird pick there are definitely probably other fights that like if i really watched a fight i'd be like no that was better um but a fight that just uh, is like stuck in my head is um, I do just love Robin B. Hood a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Even though it's like a, a dumb, like it's I please story is such a better movie. Please mm-hmm. story is a way better movie than Robin B. Hood. Yes. I love Robin yes. B. Hood though. I love it. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, and there's a fight in it where um, Jackie Chan is fighting against two guys who are wearing these, like, white suit coats, basically. Um, And he's, like, pulling the coats off of them and, like, putting it on himself and then, like, switching around and, like, using it to tangle them up. Um, And just the, the, like, feat of having this, like, the coat switching around and everything. It's just a good fight. It's, like, it's funny and exciting seeing that stuff happen. So, um, yeah. Yeah. The other thing, the other, the one that stands out for me from that movie is, um, like, most of the movie, Robin B. Hood is a movie that is too long. <laughs> yes. Um, and a lot of that movie is a comedy about Jackie Chan and his husband, um, raising a baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
you might think I'm joking about that, but I am not. <laughs> yeah. The movie jokes about that, but also is not joking. <laughs> anyway, Jackie Chan and his husband are, ra- are raising a baby. And so you get many, 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 many scenes of just like comedy stuff happening in this apartment. Two men learning to change a diaper when they've never done that. These sorts of things. The two men staying up all night entertaining a crying, crying baby. This is a sort of like thing yeah. that's happening in the movie. Um, so you know this apartment intimately, which means that when there's a like four way fight between like Jackie Chan and his husband versus like some gangsters who showed up versus some police who also showed up versus like different gangsters who are here for a different reason and they all start fighting and just like trashing the apartment and you know Jackie's trying to protect the baby and the gangsters are trying to take the baby etc 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 it it fucking rules <laughs> you know the space so well so that when you see the space get trashed it's like you know it's affecting yeah uh Rick also asks, um, what is your favorite film poster? I might table this for next time so that I can ponder it, unless you have, like, a go-to off the top of your head. Yeah. Shin Godzilla is one of my favorites, for sure. That's the Um, one that immediately comes to my mind. Yeah, it's probably one that I'll think about more, because one that just comes to my mind is the poster for Sona Tine, um, which is, like, the opening shot of the... um, the blue fish that's impaled on a spear against the red background, um, which is just a, like it mm-hmm. opens the movie cause it's just a great fucking shot. Um, so, yeah. and yeah, it's just such an like iconic image for me. Um, so I enjoy it a lot, but I'm also, I, like, I, I want to have like a better answer for this than just Shin Godzilla. Um, so like, I want to like revisit this once I like, think about it a little bit so we'll talk about that on the next episode i think um, yeah assuming i remember I it's also one of those it. like i'm thinking about it but i'm like okay if i was to own a movie poster because i don't really put movie posters up in like my apartment but if i were to do that like one of the ones i would want would be sonatine but some of that is that it's just my favorite film <laughs> right mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. not necessarily like the poster itself is necessarily the best one that i've ever seen yeah um, um next question is from um jad um my email account is not working so i'm just pulling this up from the screenshots i sent you uh who asks hi what are some uh martial arts films that you absolutely you think absolutely everyone needs to watch um robin b hood robin b hood (laughs) we i we talked about this very briefly earlier today um I could say Enter the Dragon, I could say Fist of Fury, I could say um, The Big Boss, I could say... Yeah, Police Story 1 and 2 are, like, big ones that I think everyone should watch. For example, you, Autumn. (laughs) Legend of the Drunken Master, um, one of my favorites. Um, Yeah, Come um, Drink With Me, which I mentioned earlier, but it's just a great fucking movie. Yeah, uh, there's, like, stuff... But, like, I guess I want to specifically shout out Robin B. Hood, because if you looked at a list of the 400 best martial arts movies ever made, 
I promise you, no one but me and Nia is putting Robin B. Hood on this list, but I'm here to tell you, you need to watch this movie. It's got <laughs> the the most... I promise I'm not exaggerating. I, I, I'm not hyperbolizing. I'm not exaggerating. It has got the craziest ending to a movie I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah. Um... <laughs> It's fantastic. Um, It's also, for me, it's always this very interesting film because I feel like a lot of people, at least of, like, my generation, may have grown up watching this, like, brand of American Jackie Chan movie that's, like, very goofy comedy. Um, And this feels like it could be a plot that would um, happen in one of those films, except to the extent that I think they would probably change the amount that they endanger a baby's life (laughs) a little bit. (laughs) The baby (laughs) is imperiled most of the movie. (laughs) An alarming amount of the movie involves a baby on the edge of death. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I feel like some of the details of the plot would be different if it was made in the United States, but the, the overall like premise of it feels like such an American Jackie Chan movie to me um, of like, Oh, it's going to be these wacky hijinks of like Jackie Chan having to take care of a baby while like, you know, getting into these martial arts fights and doing these stunts and everything. Um, but it is a Hong Kong Jackie Chan film. And so I feel like you can also get this good illustration of like the way that American films try and cut action. Like, I don't think is very good. Um, and you especially notice it with a lot of Jackie Chan films um, or like other American like martial arts films, because so a really big thing that happens in like Hollywood filmmaking is that you cut on the hit. Like, the moment of impact you cut, and it's because most of the time people aren't actually punching each other. Um, you are faking the punches. And so you cut at the moment that would be impact to convey a sense of greater impact. Um, you can then cut to the results of the impact. Um, and so editing <coughs> provides a lot of the, um, like, the the actual impact of the fight which is a certain style but like especially when you're watching the like you're watching someone like jackie chan it's just like what the fuck are you doing cutting on the the impact um and so this is one where you're getting the really great way that like hong kong directors know how to shoot like these amazing performers so that you're really seeing just how incredible the stunt is um but then you are also getting this plot that is just like such a stupid like <laughs> this would be like mm-hmm. slightly reworked to be like a f- a family friendly comedy that you would you know watch that would be like a spy kids or whatever <laughs> like you could so easily see that version um so yeah th- also it has my favorite ng of any martial arts film i've ever seen um ng being like no good um the term for like the blooper reel that you'll often see at the end of these oh um, yeah so fucking good <laughs> so yeah so there's a there's good. a <laughs> there's a stunt where um Jackie Chan's trying to escape the police and so he jumps out the window and um it's like a giant 
you know, super tall apartment complex and they have all of the, uh, AC, like window AC units hanging out of the windows. Um, and Jackie Chan jumps down. Um, I'm sure they like reinforce the AC units a little bit, but like jumps down onto them going all the way down to the street level. Um, and then is trying to like run away, but the, the police officer who was going up to the apartment to try and catch him went back down like the elevator basically and is um out front and then arrests him um and in the the ng what happens is Jackie Chan does the stunt flawlessly gets to the bottom and then the police officer who's supposed to arrest him forgets his line and Jackie Chan is just like I have to do that again. Like the whole joke of the this this shot is that I do the whole thing and then you're there and then you arrest me. Like we have to do it as one take. You forgot your line and now I have to do that again and it's fucking scary. <laughs> <laughs> it's so great. Um oh, especially because so, so many NGs are like in this territory of watching people get really hurt that um often isn't as funny to me as just the like Oh my god, I have to do that fucking stunt again. What the fuck? <laughs> um, it's so good. <laughs> um, two other things that I, I I think are really obvious ones, um, but I want to shout out anyway because we've shouted out a lot of obvious ones on this uh, episode, and um, I figure I might as well say them just so that people know, like, I've seen these, <laughs> you know? You don't have yeah. to tell me. Um... One is um um the Street Fighter, not oh, Street yeah. Fighter the movie. Um The Street Fighter, probably most famous in the US is a movie that Quentin Tarantino likes. Probably how I heard about it. I think I either heard about it from Quentin Tarantino or um at one time and I'm this may still be the box that I have. At one time I bought a box set of Bruce Lee movies that for some reason included the two Sonny Chiba Street Fighter movies. Not sure why those were in there. It didn't say it on the front cover. On the front cover, it just said Bruce Lee Collection. And then if you flipped it over, it was like, also, the Street Fighter and the Street Fighter 2. Street Fighter 2 is not as good. Don't worry about it. Um, street The Street Fighter, really good movie. Uh, just kicks ass. Um, if... It might have been that I saw that and Googled the fuck is this, or it might have been that I already knew that Quentin Tarantino really liked that movie. Uh, either way, great movie, despite, you know, uh, he's got good taste, you know? You make fun of him for a lot of reasons, and you should, but uh, he does have good taste in movies. Um, yeah. Uh, other one um, I wanted to shout out is, uh, of course, Eatmon. Uh Starring Donnie Yen. Um, I haven't seen any of the sequels. Um, I'm told... I'm told that the second and third ones are okay, and that the fourth one is really good. So, I guess I need to watch those. Um, but Eat Mon, great movie. Donnie Yen, um, like, kind of an underappreciated one of these guys, I feel like. Uh, I guess yeah. not that underappreciated, because he did get to make four of these movies. But, you know. <laughs> um, also, I... I it's been a long time since I've seen the Grandmaster, but it's also um like a Eatman um like story that is um Wong Kar Wai. So mm-hmm. 
Um, a few others that I wanted to, to shout out. One, um, my friend Carlos, who has the, like, Asian action cinema podcast, uh, Heroes 3, would be mad at me if I did not mention Wheels on Meals, uh, which I believe is his favorite martial arts film. Um, it's a another Jackie Chan comedy film, and it's great. Um, some other good ones, uh, Snake and Eagle Shadow, Magnificent Butcher, um, Kung Fu Cult Master, which uh, is also known as Lord of the Wu-Tang. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there there are some other really big ones that I I would shout out, but those are definitely. Um, Can I shit talk one? Yeah. Um, I remember when this movie came out, people lost their minds. People loved this movie, and I'm here to say it's not very good. It's just that no one was making uh, movies like this in 2011. Certainly not ones that got the sort of like american press tour that this one did um the raid is not a good movie it's never been a good movie stop it stop telling people to watch the raid it's bad (laughs) i haven't seen the raid 2 maybe the raid 2 is better but the raid sucks (laughs) yeah there Sorry to be an um, asshole about everybody's favorite movie, but I, I just genuinely think that The Raid is a bad movie. Um, I thought of a, another one that is fun and that I think is a little less well-known, which is Drunken Tai Chi. Um, especially because it's just a, a martial arts film that like really showcases Tai Chi um, mm. as a fighting form. So, um yeah, I think I think we're good. That's a bunch. <laughs> it's a bunch. The big one though, Robin B. Hood. Robin B. Hood. Great movie. Go watch it. <laughs> um Oh, yeah, I also we have one more email that I forgot touched on something. I I totally forgot I wanted to touch on this with Dragon Inn. So, thank you uh Marin for this email. Um Hi, I just watched uh, The Innocence 1961 recently and was blown away by how gorgeously it used its widescreen aspect ratio, especially since it wasn't storyboarded for widescreen. I feel like a film's aspect ratio is so often perfunctory or not commented upon, so what are some of your favorite examples of movies using their aspect ratios more intentionally to uh, impact the aesthetic experience? Um, Oh, and there's another question after that. Uh, historical note that I may be slightly off base about apologies if that's uh, apologies if I say anything incorrect here but from what I was doing some quick cursory googling around part of the thing with King Who leaving the Shaw Brothers studio and going and making um, this movie Dragon Inn um, was that this is his first movie in CinemaScope which is you know the the ultra widescreen you know presentation um that i associate with a lot of like classic like 50s hollywood westerns um john ford movies um certainly more prevalent um all throughout uh cinematic history but i when i see cinemascope i think of like the searchers um and like king who like just 
packs every frame of this movie with shit you know <laughs> and not like yeah. not like bullshit not like shit that doesn't need to be there like really is composing for this like huge like you know landscape image which is especially impressive because one so much of the scene is in a single building or so much of the movie is in a single building and two the things that are outside are often like pretty clearly on like sound stages um but I yeah. think like he composes really well for um this like ultra widescreen thing. You could tell you can there's like once you know that about the movie, like you can almost feel like his sort of excitement at like when he gets to certain shots that are like particularly lavish of like oh, he knew that he could like have like different shit going on in like different parts of the frame. Like you could have like an actor running around over here and an actor running around over here and like creating two different images that are still like part of the same image, you know? <laughs> yeah. You can have like something happening in the background while the main action is happening in the foreground. Um, mm. There are some fights within the, in itself where it's like this frame from uh, further away and there you will see like the three different people on different, parts of the screen who are like a part of the fight or whatever. Um, and they're like utilizing like how people move through that frame really well. Um, so yeah, this is, this is definitely one of them. Um, this is the one that I wanted to talk about, but I was like, well, I know that, that Marin's question is going to touch on this. So, um, it is incredible though. Um, I generally, um, for my part, um, I don't always comment on it, in like episodes but almost always the very first thing i look at when i'm watching a movie is what is the aspect ratio um it's just like a like i don't often have conclusions to draw from it that don't just kind of fit into my my general like analysis but like i remember that like that aspect ratio of um wings of desire is not quite as wide as sixteen nine, and not quite as narrow as four three. Um, which like I think adds to the sort of like um, choking feeling that the movie sometimes has, a sort of suffocating feeling. Um, because four three is a very like comfortable aspect ratio to where if it was four three, we all know what that looks like. We all associate it with TV, and so it's not you know it's not a huge thing um and 16.9 is like your sort of standard widescreen so just being like a little smaller than widescreen i think like makes wings of desire i like adds to the like the sort of like suffocating atmosphere of the movie um and i i i notice these things a lot i just don't always like bring it into like my analysis of it um yeah but yeah um, one, we did actually talk about it in the episode some, and it, it's one that stands out to me is, um, in the mood for love did a, a really fabulous job of one, just like having the, you know, here's the frame of the aspect ratio, um, and using it, but then also often, um, intentionally limiting the space by having it in like these tight areas where now it is framed by the, you know, the doorway here or now it is framed by um there's like that window with the bookshelf in it um that we sometimes see um so and like 
being able to use that, but then being able to to create other frames within it that like further construct to them um, to help convey that sense of like, you know, mm-hmm. um, sort of the struggle that they're they're like the way that they feel trapped in their situation. Um, but yeah, it is a thing that I think about a lot when I watch a lot of films um, mm. and. I don't know if I have a ton off the top of my head where I'm like, wow, they just really do it well in this one. Um, yeah. Because yeah. often a fair number are, are pretty good with it. Um, and some, mm. you know, really excel. Um, yeah. I feel like, um, I feel like most of the time, like when I, I think like most movies I watch, I'm like, oh yeah, that's just like the aspect ratio just is, and I don't like I notice it, I don't think much of it. Like I couldn't tell you what the aspect ratio of um Dragons Forever is because I don't think it's like notable to the movie. I think like when a movie wants to call attention to that, it it finds ways of doing these things, you know, and often movies don't want to call attention to that because movies are looking for, you know, that sort of verisimilitude. Um, the, like, you're here to be entertained, not to, like, think about the act of watching a, cin- a film, you know, um, that, say, someone like Wong Kar Wai is, like, going for, you know, the sort of, like, consciousness of the artifice of cinema, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um... And then uh, Marin goes on to ask, um, have either of you uh, seen or have thoughts on Singapore Sling from 1990, which draws thematically from the plot of Laura? Um, I don't think I have seen this film. I am not familiar with it either. Uh, But Laura sounds kind of interesting. And so if I see Laura, I'll probably try to uh, watch this too. Yeah. So. Singapore Sling, subtitle "The Man Who Loved a Corpse." Um, I could see how that would pull from it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I have not seen this. My associations with Singapore Sling is uh, first and foremost an Icelandic band because I'm a self-parody, and then secondly the cocktail. Mm-hmm. So, um, and then that's it. Those are my my two associations with that phrase. Oh, um, uh, oh, okay. Legacy. Uh, I'm reading to you here from the uh, Wikipedia page for Singapore Sling 1990 film. The Icelandic neo-psychedelia band uh, Singapore Sling is named after the film, as the band's uh, uh, frontman uh, explained in June 2003. We had a first gig, it was booked and we didn't have a name, and I had been looking for a film called Singapore Sling for a long time. I couldn't find it anywhere. It sounded cool, so that became the name of the band. It's some kind of dark, perverse Greek film from 1990. I haven't found it yet, so if you know someone who has it, please let me know. I hope it's good. <laughs> um, man, I hope that Henrik Bjornsson has seen it at this point. <laughs> really funny. The funniest part is that... Uh, um, oh, I think... Okay, the band had only been around for three years. I was doing the wrong math in my head and was like, the band had been around for 13 years and he still like, couldn't find this movie. 
Uh, but the band had only been around for three years, so you know what? Yeah. I hope he likes it. It would really <laughs> suck to, like... <laughs> um, it would really suck to name your band after this movie, and then to be like, I hate that movie. It kind of sucks. The thing is, um... I mean, I, I would have to, like, put some effort into it, so I'm not going to do this. But there's, like, a decent chance that I would have the connection that I could I could get a message to Henrik Bjornsson and be like, so did you ever watch that film? Incredible. I did not know that. Good band. I mean. Anyway. They're fun. Should we rate the stairwell in um, Dragon Inn? Yeah. This is a long episode. This is. We've had longer, though. This is still shorter than our Mulholland Drive episode. It and we talked about other I shit. open tomorrow. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> I'm also very tired. I've had a anyway. weird bad day. Um, I'm feeling like an A plus for this, or maybe just a straight A. Um, yeah, I feel like straight A, maybe. You know, as we've mentioned before, so much of the movie takes place in Dragon Inn. Like, just this, you know, small tavern in hotel sort of thing. And so, there is a big stairwell that features prominently in, like, the set that a lot of the movie takes place in. And it's a nice stairwell, um, and it is prominently featured. I just can't think of anything that exciting that happens on it but like you know yeah you did it you you gave us an ornate stairwell you know yeah the the i think the biggest thing is there's the shot of um when they've laid a bunch of traps because they've actually left the inn but they want the eunuchs to believe that um they're still in the inn um and there's like the shot up the stairs of like all of the cords and things because so they've rigged up all of these um crossbows to fire when they like trip various wires um but you know not really what we're talking about when we talk about like the stairwell shot in the movie which is you know when you go up facing the inevitable tragedy of your life and then you go down it having to deal with the consequences um but yeah uh next time goodbye dragon inn by simon long i'm Um. so excited for this First time we are going to be covering a, the same director twice, unless you count me watching Agnes Varda movies off air. Um, but yeah, I mean, in that case, you know, okay, I have to be fair. I actually have to take this title from Simon Long because us we talking did about watch... two Hideaki Anno movies does not count. I refuse. <laughs> We did talk about two two auto movies. Um, so. No, no. It doesn't count. We talked about it as one thing. Okay. Um, I refuse. <laughs> anyway. Um, great time to also mention, um, you know, people can export odd.io slash stairwell quality. Um, we did have one minor, um, update to this, uh, two minor updates to the schedule, um, off air between episodes. One, you know, we'd already planned your 
uh, Yule movie was going to be Tokyo Godfathers. My um, Christmas movie is going to be 2046, the follow-up to um, uh, In the Mood for Love, um, which apparently takes place over various Christmas Eves. I don't know anything about that movie. Um, But apparently um, various scenes across various Christmas Eves. So look forward to that. Um, Other update to the schedule is that this is already more or less announced, but you went ahead and counted out the number of weeks into 2022 that we would be covering uh, Ghost in the Shell um, as part of a crossover with Ghost Divers. Um, Yeah. I'm just... You're a fucking dork. That's all I got. Um... So, yeah. (sighs) Where can people find you online? Uh, People can find me at FoxMomNia on Twitter. Or you can also follow me at Garfred Aloud, where I read Garfield Aloud into a camera. Um, I've been bad at doing that recently, but I'm going to get back on that horse. Um, Also, go listen to Ghost Divers. uh, ExportAudd.io slash Ghost Divers. Right now we're doing our Utena episodes and they're really fucking good. Um, this has been a, a good season of the podcast, so. Um, so, like... Okay. Do you think, like, assuming that you... Yeah, assuming that you live, like, a... What's, like, the life expectancy of people in the U.S.? <laughs> 78, se- 79 years. Let's say you live to 79. Do you think they're still going to be making Garfield after you're dead? Like, do you think that you will be able to read Garfield? Not that you will, but you would be able to read Garfield aloud every day for the rest of your life. Or do you um, think you will outlive Garfield? Who? I feel you will like Garfield outlive Jim is... Davis, certainly. Yes. I don't think I will outlive Garfield, though. Somebody's you... going to take over Garfield. Do you think Garfield is essentially like Mickey Mouse on some level and just will continue indefinitely? Yeah. I could see maybe eventually at some point, like people aren't doing the comic anymore but and then like there'll be a revival later you know but i don't know like it's fucking garfield does garfield ever get the nancy does garfield do we ever hit like a point where somebody's like no you gotta read these new garfield comics they got a new artist on there who's doing some crazy shit (laughs) yeah um i mean it could happen it's um. like, yeah, I don't know. I've talked sometimes about like the performance art that is Garfred allowed, which is um, that I do not like Garfield. I don't think it's a good comic. That's not why I read it aloud. Why I read it aloud is that I think Garfield exists um, on the internet as this like, like there's like this ironic version of Garfield that often is like, oh, we're, like, doing it edgy or whatever, or we're, like, doing, like, fucked-up Garfield stuff. Um, that's, like, so much of what Garfield humor is. 
um, on the internet. And for me, the, the comedy inherent in Garfield is the fact that it's the stupidest fucking comic. I mean, it family circus is stupider, but it's like this incredibly stupid comic strip. Um, and yeah, it's still just huge. The internet just still loves Garfield, even if it's in this ironic way. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it is just this massive franchise that like, you know, like the Wikipedia article describes it as a vast licensing syndication and entertainment empire. Um, and it's, it's a stupid comic and it's, there's just so much like the horror of capitalism is inherent in Garfield for me. Um, and people like ironically participate in it. And so, I do, but in a way where I'm just trying to reveal how dumb it all is. <laughs> uh. um, the moment that the internet stops being ironically fascinated with Garfield is when I will feel absolutely no compulsion to do Garfred aloud. What, uh, what happens if, like, you know, God forbid, I don't want this to happen, but, like, God, God forbid, Jim Davis drops dead tomorrow. And somebody has to start making Garfield comics. Yeah. And they start making good Garfield comics. What do yeah. you do if just like you do you just continue to read Garfield aloud if Garfield just becomes good one day? No, because that's not what Garfield aloud is. Okay. You okay? So, but okay. What <laughs> if someone takes over and it's exactly the same? Then I'll continue to read Garfield. Okay. So it's not a, a a particular allegiance to Jim Davis. It's no. an allegiance to a style. It it is an allegiance to the persistence of Garfield as a cultural force um that does not deserve that persistence. And if it got good to yeah. a degree okay. where I felt like it actually deserved attention, then I wouldn't read it aloud into a camera every day. Okay. Cuz then people could just read Garfield. This is yeah, yeah, this is why I don't read Heathcliff allowed is because yeah. I love Heathcliff and it's a good comic. Yeah. People should just go read Heathcliff. Um, okay. Yeah. You can find me on Twitter at autumnal underscore coffee, all the other podcasts at export odd dot IO. Um, give us a dollar uh, on the Patreon there, get a bunch of stuff early, um, help us out with the move. Um, you know, Nora and I posted a GoFundMe, um, that made a lot of money, <laughs> um, which we really appreciate. Um, so thank you everybody for helping out with that. That is still, I believe you can still donate to that if you wanted to definitely yeah. anything else that continues to get added to that. We will just use to like get through like Nora's going to be looking for a job. I'm going to be off work for a couple weeks, you know, we're, we're, t- probably tomorrow we're gonna look into the cost of like hiring movers at least to just help with the fucking bed and the couch you know um so however people can help out we really appreciate it yeah um the patreon is nora's only list at some point yeah if people because like you know new place we're gonna need um some soundproofing on the walls um i would like to get a new desk um there are just a couple furniture things um so if you would prefer to help out by like a more direct thing 
Um, I'm going to make an Amazon wish list at some point and people can like, you know, help out with that. That will probably be a lot of like big ticket items. So if you can't uh, do that, don't feel bad about it. Part of the reason the Amazon wish list will exist is so that I can remember when I have the money, right, this is like the desk that I wanted to buy. This is the TV stand I wanted to buy. <laughs> um, so if, you know, yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm also looking forward to when we're just recording podcasts together in the same, we'll probably do it in my closet most of the time, yeah. but we'll, we'll see depending on where we watch. Um, because for the last like hour of this recording, your audio will just hitch and then I will hear what you said that I missed sped up. Um, so I'm excited yeah. to not have any audio issues like that during recordings. Sorry if any of the like <laughs> responses that I have to things are weirdly timed. Anyway, let's get out of here. Yeah. Um, oh, I guess we have to say the thing. Okokoro is real. Okokoro is real. Oh,
the goose is dead, the bats have left, the bell tower, the victims have been bled, that velvet lines, the black box, bell of the goose is dead. Bella Lugos is dead, 